welcome to episode 180 of Together BHA. Uh, first things first, we may be on the air for a bit of uh, live breaking news because the forest admin on Twitter has tweeted he's not quite ready to go to bed yet. Uh, and with the expected move of, of, of Mopay over to Forest, it may well be that announcement that we're on air for. So we'll keep an eye on that Twitter timeline. Uh, but I digress. Uh, Adam, Craig, welcome to the show. Uh, how are we feeling? How's your weekend been? Uh, how's everything going? Pretty good. Yeah. Um, nice little Saturday, 9am for me. So um, I've had I've had time to digest and, and think about the, the game and stuff. So yeah, all is well with me. What about you, Alan? Good. I had to watch the game on an, on an iPad uh, in the middle of nowhere in upstate New York, but it worked. Um, yeah. I'm a little... The Brentford game was the shock of the week. Well, wasn't really the shock of the weekend, was it, in some ways? But interesting. And then this game uh, between Chelsea and Spurs with the the handbags was also a pretty fun one. Um, but an interesting weekend overall with results. And this is why I love all the takes that were including us that we have like after the first round of fixtures. And everyone goes, oh, well, now this is clear that this is how the league's going to play out. And then the next... Next games are played and everyone's wrong again. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, it's worth remembering that Arsenal were bottom of the league after two or three games last year as well. And people were saying, oh, God, is this, is it really going to catch up to them? Uh, no, they finished, what, three points off fourth, <laughs> I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and likewise, I mean, myself included, I thought Newcastle were too far gone come Christmas. Uh, but, 120 million pound can do a lot for you uh so yeah very early days to be writing anyone on or off just yet um but it is really funny seeing manchester united rock bottom of the league uh for the first time since 1992 uh they have not finished bottom of the league um so that's been a long old time uh and and i like seeing it craig i think you've just looked into the forest thing it was not neil mope is that correct yeah, uh, it was. Yeah, it was another signing. Sorry, I clicked off as soon as I saw it wasn't him. So uh, I'll say. <laughs> well, it's hard to keep track because they're signing a new player of every five minutes. So yeah. it could be yes. pay, but it, also, it could be pay like ten minutes after that. So who knows? So it's Remo Froiler. Uh, I think they were linked to him before, but yeah, another one. Like you said, they're, they're signing a lot of players. So um. they are. They are. Um, Let's start with uh, the tweet I just put out 10 minutes ago, last minute, um, for anyone who wanted to be a fourth guest on the show. Uh, a lot of people liked it. No one dared DM me, though. Um, so <laughs> calling you out for that, fellas. Uh, going forward, um, we'll be a little bit more scheduled, to be fair. This was a last-minute kind of decision on what time we were going to record today. Uh, but we will be uh, asking for fourth fourth members of the show if they ever want to come on um so keep an eye out for those tweets uh as long as you're not rude you can pretty much say whatever you want to be honest on here uh you've heard some of our hot takes so i would encourage you to come on uh that's what we're here for right it's a fan podcast so feel free to pop on uh and have your say uh it'd be good to have a fourth member on and just giving a different flavor every week um so mikey in the chat wants to start with an off-topic question which is great because we haven't got on topic yet uh can we start with the beautiful moment when pursuing kukurea swap shirts uh that 
we could also start with the fact that Kukurea had half his hair scalped out of him as well <laughs> near the end of the game as well. But uh, is Basuma hurt? He's got to be. There's no way they're, they're just starting him on the bench because it looked uh, looked pretty clear that they could have done with a player pretty much shaped like Basuma today to break that game up. Yeah, every single commentary, five live, and everyone were talking about that they, they should bring Basuma on at the halftime point as well, and they, they, they've missed him. He might be, but he also might be. He didn't get the full Conte preseason, which uh, in some ways might have... Conte's insane. Like, let's all be honest with ourselves. He's actually insane. So it might just be a rule that he has where he's like, well, you're not going to start for me until I'm completely satisfied with you. Um, I, I I have a differing opinion uh, on Mikey's sort of then swapping shirts. I actually felt a bit sick when I saw Basuma go up to the crowd at the end. Uh, the, the Spurs fans and like G him up five times to get him to cheer. I was like, mate, you've been there for about two weeks. Um, it was all a, all a little bit weird, but and a, a weird sort of ex-girlfriends get together um, and become friends game really, wasn't it? I don't, I don't like to see it. I'm saddened. I'm, I'm, I'm st- my heart's still sore. Well, it's, it's still a bit fresh, isn't it? So, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah I'm, I'm not reeling, but like I'm not fully over it yet. Like you said, it's a perfect, <laughs> perfect analogy. Yeah, it's not. Uh, honestly, I still feel a bit sick watching Kukurea play for him, uh, despite the fact that we did absolutely fleece them for for 62 million quid. Um, and we'll get on to where that may be spent uh, after we actually cover the Newcastle United game uh, at any point soon. Um, but here's a fun fact for you all. Uh, this is the first season since the 70s that Brighton have opened up their first four games against all Uniteds. How do you like that for a fact? Wow. That's very uh, niche. Store that one away. <laughs> yeah. Get that, yeah. yeah, Get that one in there for the Albion <laughs> in the community pub quiz. Uh, you'll be raking it in. Um, all right. Let's actually get on to uh, the Newcastle United game. Uh, Saudi FC came down in numbers. Uh, there was a lot of Newcastle fans, as expected, uh, at the Amex. Um, hopefully, we can get them moved sooner than later because uh, they were a big influence behind that goal, um, as you would expect them to be. Um, but lineup wise, uh, no change in the starting 11, one change in the substitutes. Uh, and that was Alzate coming in for Mopay. Uh, and as Potter said, there's some interest that didn't feel right to play him. Um, code for there's no way we can afford to let him get injured uh, when there's a 15 million pound move about to go through. Uh, so that was uh, the only change overall there. Um, Newcastle came out. Uh, with pretty much what we were expecting to see from them as well after a good win at home to Forest last weekend. Um, again, we can talk about this as well in terms of that barometer, how good or bad a Man United after our result in Brentford's. Uh, how good are West Ham or not good this year after some of the results they've had? Uh, it's There's a lot of weird little tests that you can look at this first two weeks. Um, as Adam said, some weird results. But were we were we happy with the unchanged lineup? Uh, I, I, I suspect nobody was surprised by it, given that we'd just won at Old Trafford with the same lineup. Uh, but were, were we happy with that? Were you hoping to see maybe a change or two? Or, or what were you thinking? Personally, I was fine with it, and it was exactly what I expected. Yeah, I mean, it was fairly safe. For, for, for him to, to select that team again, wasn't it? Uh, there's oh, Let's try it again. Let's see if it works with Newcastle. Um, 
I was mainly more interested in how we'd work with with Burn at left back for Newcastle because I don't know whether that was fully expected because they dropped. Who did they drop? Who who came out of the team? Target, uh, was it Target? Yeah, that sounds right. Yes, because Target didn't play, so they 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 bottom and share Trippier and Burn. And I don't know if you noticed, but like a lot of the game almost. Every um, pass out the back, every kick from Sanchez was basically targeted at going over there to to, the, to Dan Byrne to see if someone can run in behind him, especially when Lamptey came on the pitch as well. So I'm more interested in that. Um, and just the formation difference. Newcastle is always a bit of a challenging game, especially when we've got those three centre-backs spread across the back and we're trying to push up with the wing-backs. And they've got St. Max and... Um, Wilson and, and, and Almiron running at them as well. It's always a bit tricky in the first half showed that it was a bit of a mess of a first half, wasn't it really? Yeah. Uh, back into to the lineup, like you said, it's, it's fairly safe. Is it, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. So um, I think we, we came up with a, a very similar game plan. So, um, but yeah, I, I noticed that too, that with Dan Burnett left back, I think that was always going to be the plan. Um, but like you said, it was, it was very, very messy first half. Um, I felt it, no one really had control and it was a, a bit everywhere. Can, can we talk about this, the, the actual like, options that we have? Because I know last week we, we, we discussed like the we had a strong subs bench and I think we do have a, we have an exciting subs bench and we saw some of that a little bit. We got a taster of it at the end, which we'll get on to. But I still don't really know, in all honesty, if we're going to play this same formation, I guess you'd make an argument that Mwepu would come in for someone. That's a change you could potentially make. And the other one would be that, well, maybe we have Lamptey come in as a starter. Outside of that, you can switch in Dav for Welbeck when he's ready. Um, and obviously we'd see Mitoma, but you're not going to drop Trossard uh, realistically. I, I don't know if we've got other players that I'm really like going to fight to start um, at the moment, which is, well, the proof's in the pudding when we we sell our two best players. That's just the state of things at the moment. So, yeah, I don't know how different that lineup's going to look when everyone's fit and it is what it is, even though that phrase is, doesn't mean much. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're you're spot on. I think the only one you could argue at this point is Lalana for Webu. Um and but Lalana was good I, yesterday, one of our best he players. He was, he was. And and you can't I think the only problem is that he didn't score when he should have. Uh, Classic. Once, yeah. if not twice, right? With that shot on the turn, Wepu may well have buried it. Uh, I think he probably does bury the header. Um, it, it, like you said, it is. It is what it is. Uh, well, while Lalana is healthy, you've got to play him, I suppose, when he's starting in the way he is. Um, and with that in mind, you know Wepu's always going to get at least forty odd minutes of the game anyway when he comes off after fifty five minutes uh, with injury time included. So it's one of those ones where I think you know how it's going to work. You know Lolana is going to get hurt eventually, sadly, um, whenever that does occasionally take place. Um, and I think as of right now, I don't, I don't think we have much choice. As yeah, about we don't the, have the choice. The, the, we have to play three at the back with wing backs because we don't have a left back, uh, which may well be rectified sometime this week, uh, as we've we've seen this weekend with the reports breaking about uh, Estepinian or whatever his name is. I, I, it's going to butcher it. Uh, Purvis, we'll just call him Pervy from now on. Estepinian, um, <laughs> Estepinian. Uh, yeah, if we if we bring him in, uh, obviously that's a total change, right? Then we've we've got an out and out left back possibility, and we can go back to basically playing however we want with four or three at the back. And 
when you do that, then I think you have times where you can rotate out a Trossard for Emitoma, uh, who who may well be playing more of a 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1 if he's going to be playing way up there because uh, we saw just how dangerous he can be when he comes on. Um, but like Craig said, it was messy first half and, and it was first 10 minutes the Albion came out all cylinders uh, absolutely hammering them. Dominated possession uh, looked like the only team interested in playing a game in that opening 10 minutes. Uh, Amex was rocking. uh, And then for the next 35, Newcastle kind of took control of the game. Uh, Didn't really offer much. um, Very much a midfield battle, wasn't it? But Newcastle really just quietened the crowd down and and it became much more of a kind of back-and-forth combative game. Uh, with not a lot to do with it. And then we could get onto the second half in a little bit, but uh, after the, the half time, it, it, we kind of start, came up the traps quick and, and never let them get a foothold back in it. But that first half was not particularly attractive. We should talk about a couple of things you mentioned there because we like to shit on the atmosphere um, when it's bad. Uh, well, not that we enjoy it, but <laughs> we say it as, as it is. But a couple of things. The pitch looked fantastic. Boring comment, but it looked like a really awesome surface to play on. Atmosphere was wonderful at the start. And the home kit's grown on me. It really has. I actually like it, despite the fact that I can't unsee that it's a big letter H. I think it looks nice. I didn't like that Newcastle sort of stole a bit of hyper turquoise. Uh, And I don't know about you. Maybe it was just my iPad-based viewing, but I saw other comments online it was kind of hard to tell things apart a little bit. Um, and I wonder if the players suffered now, because there were a lot of misplaced passes yesterday, especially in the first half. And let's give them credit. Let's say maybe they just couldn't see quickly. It wasn't just us, though. It was both teams. Um, and the, the shadow, I yeah. Craig, I don't know if you were watching on a big TV like I was, yeah. but like, it was just horrific to know where the ball was half the time when it was going from light to dark because of the kits being so similar. Mm. Yeah, I mean, they had to reel out a special fourth kit, which is their training top with a sponsor on it, isn't it? So, yeah, that's right, uh, yeah. You know, we saw that as soon as we released the Crimson and, and bits and pieces, and we saw Newcastle's offerings for the three kits this year. There, there were going to be clashes, and there were going to be certain teams that play other teams where it is going to be an issue. So um, I'm sure that's a, an entire other conversation. I, I know that um, colour blindness when it comes to the kits as well is um, is a topic that a lot of people debate uh, quite frequently but yeah it was it was difficult to, to sort of follow everything um and then you add on top just i think just the temperature yesterday as well um with, with the players as well is that you saw that maybe a little bit sluggish um at times because it's what 30 degrees or close to 90 degrees fahrenheit whilst they're playing 90 minutes of football so um that was obviously an impact yesterday as well i'm interested to know how much of um, the the game flow was was premeditated from Potter because I, we saw quite a lot of last season right where we would come out after our first ten minutes of forgetting how to play football typically but then the the rest of the first half we would come out firing all cylinders we would own all the possession and the, eventually you would find that teams would come back stronger against us after like sixty sixty fifth minute once we started to tire from the pressuring very different scenario this time around like Newcastle had the onus in the first half after some of the scrap and it felt like we played on the counter for a good 20-25 minutes but that then meant that Newcastle felt that Newcastle looked tired in the second half um, and it felt I wasn't concerned in the second half about conceding too much unless it was a complete fluke counter situation 
Um, it was more about, God, we're going to be able to break this team down because we the onus is purely on Brighton in the second half. And that, that was a bit of a change. And I wonder whether that came from Potter just based on what we saw last season, based on the weather, like you said, and how hot it's been over there, and whether that was conscious or whether it just happened. Um, but the only other things that I really took away from the first half was number of mistakes from, I don't know, I know I get on this case a lot, but a lot of mistakes from Alexis. I'm still really not sold. Um, and I just didn't feel like that we could really get the ball down and actually play our game. So thankfully, I don't know what was said in the second half, but it was completely different prospect. Yeah, and we uh, I've just looked up the pass percentages. 82% was the average pass success percentage in last season as a whole for Brighton yesterday for both teams and remember this is an eddie house side as well right so both teams are, are pretty much focused on that sort of stuff uh we came out with 76 percent for us and 73 percent for newcastle yeah um, it, it. <laughs> it, it it was not yeah it was not a tidy game and and i i really do think the kit played a big part in that um it, it arguably looked worse than half the other three kits they had I, you would have thought they'd probably had just been better off playing with their with with one of their other away kits compared to what we we saw yesterday because it wasn't too different at all. Do they not like? Does no one sit down at the start of a season and go, "Oh, okay, well, we're Brighton playing blue and white stripes. Uh, should we maybe have a kit that isn't a complete disaster when we inevitably play them?" Well, given there's that, only nineteen other sites. Given that Brighton can only wear their away kit at about eight other teams, um, I would say that no. <laughs> No, yeah. no, no teams do not. <laughs> teams do not. There's a role there. Someone attention. hire someone for that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not great. Um, let's talk about Alexis a little bit because uh, he had a really poor first half um, and he redeemed himself a lot in the second. Um, and we'll get onto the more individual players as a whole when we get to that grouping. But for me, I think that yesterday showed that Alexis McAllister is not a central defensive midfielder if you want to be playing in a game where you are both expected to attack and defend, however stupid that sounds. Um, when we took over the, the state of play in the second half and we were able to win the ball back towards the halfway line, which we did a lot, um, and we were able to dictate play, bring it forward, distribute, Alexis looked so in his element. I thought he looked really good. He was pinging passes around. He was finding his man constantly. Yeah. That first half, I mean, that was a, an orange card, really, for the absolute d- just ridiculousness of it. Uh, cynicism of the tackle was so bad, really, like just throwing him on the floor. Um, but he looked totally out of place when he was expected to play that uh, box-to-box defensive midfielder. He did not look comfortable. Um, whereas Caicedo, in that first half especially, uh, I mean, he dictated the game. Uh, I was on three separate Newcastle podcasts this weekend, uh, this week. And every single one of them were very confident in Bruno dictating the game from minute one to minute 90. And that was why they thought they'd win all of them. Um, And every single one of them took my word for it, that Caicedo was a good player. Um, And then he went out and showed every single one of them uh, that he's, he's arguably in a better spot than Bruno uh, on a, on a 90 minute basis. Um, I thought he was excellent. And that's crazy, isn't it? You know, you think they bought Bruno for, what, £39 million or, or something similar, then the pedigree that he has. 
you got Caicedo, who's played 11 Premier League games at 20-odd years old, and he does what he does, and he, he does it so consistently that that's why he's the next big outlay when it comes to, to our club and how much money he brings in. Um, he may well go on to be one of the best midfielders in the world, let alone anything. And I, I, I'm not saying that purely from rose-tinted glasses. I just think he's so consistent and he's so good at what he does. And that if he's 20 years old, imagine what he can do in the next couple of years to even hone his craft. It is, it's silly. Yeah, and... Even he he wasn't at his best yesterday. I thought the I thought the man of the match award was a little bit silly to give it to him. Um, but what you saw, even when he wasn't at his best, was some of those flashes that he has. Even when he gives the ball away, because he wasn't uh, his pass completion was not good yesterday, seventy eight something percent. Um, but he would run and get the ball back. Uh, and he put there was a, in the first half one of those little highlights where he gave the ball away, horrible little situation. I think he played Alana short someone, but he ran back about twenty yards and, and did it. I think it was like a slide tackle on someone and claimed the ball back and then got got it got it back out. That sums him up for me. Uh, that, that's if you if you're still gonna still a bit rough around the edges, put the effort in and 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 do the defensive work. And he shows that. Um, and you know, credit where it's due for Alexis, right? Second half felt like a different player, came into his own a bit more. Then again, we've talked about this before, right? You do not suffer with missing the body of someone like a Basuma and that defensive anchor when you have all the ball and you play your possession game. That's fine. That's what Alexis wants to do. No one touched the ball more than Alexis on the pitch. 53 passes uh, throughout the game and one of the high passes, uh, completion percentages. That was through that second half, predominantly for me, all of the possession ownership. But we saw what that looks like in the first half. We just don't have those players at the moment. Um, so we just, that game, if anything, proved to me that we're still a couple of bodies short, no matter what everyone says and trust the process and all that crap that everyone's coming out with. Yeah, um, let's talk a little bit about some of the overarching tactics that we saw from the Albion. Um, unsurprisingly, uh, one of the moves that Potter made, uh, to the surprise of absolutely nobody, uh, was finding a way to essentially just take Alan St. Maximum out of the game. Um, and boy, oh boy, did that work. Uh, Solly March and Veltman uh, just ganged up on him all game long. Uh, and if it wasn't them, Caicedo joined in as well. Uh, they essentially played the the three-on-one or two-on-one game as often as possible with him. Um, and we've seen Lamptey essentially make him his bitch for 45 minutes. Um, and, and we saw it again this weekend. Uh, nobody had a worse pass success percentage than St. Maximum. Uh, he got no shots on, no nothing. He was He was just bad. Um, and it was because we made him bad. Uh, we we eliminated those one-on-one situations, which he's so good at. And we saw him. He got one opportunity, a proper one-on-one situation with Veltman, uh, and, and ripped him apart. Um, but within a second and a half of him being in the box, Veltman had recovered, and, and March was on him from the back, and it was back to that 2v1 and just nullified him. Um, but I thought he was uh, – I thought the, the tactical job that, that Potter did on him – uh was just unbelievable uh and that for me was the biggest win of the day as and it was a reason why newcastle looked as toothless as they did yeah spot on i think uh, barring a 
crazy dive as well from him that was quite desperate. Um, we can we can talk about that, or you can go and search that out for yourself. Um, but yeah, I think you're absolutely right. There's not really much to add. We know how good Veltman is and, and what he does and what he brings to the table. Um, and I think we're, we're seeing a few comments in the chat as well, just around Solly yesterday and how good he was. So yeah, I mean, you, you restrict that flow of, of St. Maximan and how explosive he is. And like you said, you, you take one of their most attacking options. I think some of that also came around. Maybe it was game plan, but maybe it was also a bit of a, a tweak because... I want to say about 15 or so minutes in, maybe 10 minutes in, Sam Maximan absolutely skinned Feldman uh, and left him on his ass. And then for some reason, he chose to like play some crappy pass. And he was in on goal if he just ran forward. I'm not quite sure what he was doing. Um, so I think there might have been a couple of words on the sideline there where, where Potter said, yeah, we're not we're not letting that happen again. Feldman is not going to do this on his own. Um Solly was good yesterday, Alex, in the chat saying that, as you, as you mentioned. Um, it was really good. My lukewarm take on Solly is that if Solly is your man of the match, you've probably not won the game. Um, and Because I, I just don't think he takes us over the edge. Uh, he can be very good, but his peak doesn't win us key difficult games in the Premier League. That's That's my lukewarm take there. Uh, whereas if Trossard's your man of the match, you probably he's probably scored two, three goals. Bit harsh, isn't it? I think I thought I thought Solly played really well yesterday. Uh, yeah, we didn't uh, win the game, <laughs> right? But I thought he played really well against United as well, and we did. And it was his shot that got Pascal Gross the the, the second goal. Yeah, but he wasn't even in talk of being man of the match. He wasn't even in our top five in the Man U game. No, he wasn't. He wasn't. Um, I think that's also a testament to just how well we played as a group. Um, I like him a lot. I, I hope it's his season too, but it feels like, I don't know about you two, but Lamptey seems to have found that injection of pace again. Um, and I don't know whether, because when he used to come on as a sub at the end of last season, even as a like an impact sub, he didn't, there was it was gone. And we talked about it a few times. It looked like he just didn't have that explosive uh, from naught to 10 yards sort of pace uh, that he used to have. Certainly seems to have it now. Um, not that Burn is the quickest player in the world, but the way he just put on the put, put his foot on the gas and went past him was outrageous. And I don't think we would have saw that last year. And I don't know whether that's a mental thing too. I, like obviously, he was capable of it, but he was just a little bit worried about it. Um, but, you know, if Lamptey keeps showing that, uh, it's going to then be tough to to not swap him around with with the fact that he is as good as he is. Um, yeah. I'm glad we're not paid to make the decision anyway. There can't be a single player in the world that would be more terrified of seeing Tarek Lamptey come on um, towards the latter part of the game than Dan Byrne because he knows firsthand from training when he was forced to play left back what Lamptey does. And he probably saw that sub happening and thought to himself, Think how hot it was. I've played, what was it, like 74 minutes or something. I can't remember when he came on. He got, oh my God, this is not going to be a fun 20 minutes for me here. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you've got to feel bad for him. I did enjoy when Dan Byrne, you know, there's that scuffle between Joe Linton and, and Solly. And Dan Byrne just started slowly walking around, like pushing, kindly pushing Brighton players out the way. Like and he's with a smile on his face as well. He seems like a good lad, doesn't he? Yeah, it looked like he found the whole thing hilarious. It was, yeah. it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
So a couple of key moments. Uh, goal line technology was goal line technology has been busy all weekend. Actually, um, it feels like every game I've watched outside of the Brighton game, there's been at least one moment where there's been a scramble off the line. Uh, but there was a couple uh, for Newcastle. Uh, I think both were Solly March, funnily enough. Uh, and one of them was an unbelievably inches close clearance, uh, the first one. Um, and then the second one was was a little bit more clear-cut and obviously cleared off the line. But uh, Nick Pope, uh, who I don't know, really understand how he went as viral as he did on Friday. I don't, he doesn't even understand it, but I guess it, everything went a bit mental with him. Uh, there was a big Nick Pope loving um, but he played very well. Uh, I thought he made some excellent saves uh, and it felt very much like that first or which one first or second season under Potter where we were basically XG champions of Europe. Uh, it felt like we were back. It was just Groundhog Day again, wasn't it? Um, almost every chance was uh, one we sh- probably should have buried. We could have won that four or five nothing uh, if we had some slightly more clinical players. Um, and we didn't. Uh, what changed from last week to this week? <laughs> Do you want the obvious facetious answer? I mean, <laughs> Newcastle aren't shit. Um, yeah, I mean, Man United are actually... Uh, we can't just spend time talking about them, but I, I, we clearly are now seeing just how mentally fragile Man United are after getting beaten four 0 by Brentford. That that that's that's not okay. Um, it doesn't matter about the new manager. It doesn't matter about anything else. Your players know how to play football. You should never be getting beat when you've got players that are at least competent enough to that level. And there's something ex- external is happening. They're all mentally broken. So yeah, we faced a team that wasn't mentally broken. They were fairly well organized there's going to be people that, well, there's already people that have been talking about, ah, oh, you know, they look and, and, and the pundits on TV that just, you know, look us up on Wikipedia for five minutes before a game and take what the producers have handed them is, oh God, they need to sign a strike. still need to sign a striker. All they've got now, they're selling Mope. They've got Welbeck. who's going to get injured. And they've got a guy who was, whose only proof is in the Belgian league. How many chances did Welbeck squander yesterday? I don't remember any. I don't remember any situations where I'm like, if it wasn't Welbeck, we'd have it, it'd have gone in. We talked about this a lot last year. It's not just about the person that plays up top for us because it's not your traditional number nine system where that player needs to get you 20 goals a year. It has to be supplemented by everyone around them. We saw that at Man U. We saw that had a gross scores two goals. We need other players to chip in with goals. Solly March's attempts to uh, yesterday. What we don't have in the team right now we still don't and it's got worse and we haven't replaced it because we're not starting the players that I think can bring that special edge. Mitoma, young players like Enciso, even players like Sarmiento, where they can create a goal scoring opportunity and you feel good about them leathering the ball into the top corner. I don't feel that about Lalana. I don't feel that about Alexis at the moment. Um, I, and I don't feel that about pretty much anyone else that's playing on the wings or the midfield apart from Trossard. That's our problem. We don't have goal scorers elsewhere unless Grace has a really good day or someone smashes one in and it goes pretty well. Welbeck is not the problem for me. Undav is probably not going to be the problem. The number nine is not the problem. We need more goal scorers in other positions. There's been, um, like you said, that's nothing new, right? Mm -hmm. We know know that. I think I'll I'll add Mwepu to your list as well, but I think 
goals and assists wise we saw that last season that he's able to bring that to the table and I think that's I think Josh you said earlier the, the only like for like switch that I would probably make is taking Lalana out from Wepu but Lalana was really good yesterday so um you know that's that's a hard decision to make but yeah it's that clear-cut opportunity and clinical finishing that we're missing and we're not getting goals from elsewhere um and it it's not a new problem. We, we know this. And it's around creating chances for that number nine so that they are clinical. Now we're playing Trossard at left wing back. He's going to have less of those opportunities in the middle. Uh, he's very much on the wings that we saw um, and crossing that ball in. He doesn't really get a lot of shooting opportunities. So we'll, we'll have to see that. Obviously, with, with hopefully Purvis coming in, that frees Trossard up, Trossard up to play more up front or, or even play in that role. Uh, so that would probably ease some of the, the constraints there. But yeah, you're right. There's, there's there's not enough goals from other areas of the pitch right now. And if we play in Wepu, if you decide that we're going to... He's not starting Wepu for what we said, right? Because we don't have that defensive anchor. You have to play Lalana because the way he's transitioned to his game now is he's half decent at actually being a little bit more defensive-minded. We've seen Wepu's not good at the defense. He's going to get a yellow card. Like, <laughs> that's that's what's going to happen. <laughs> he's going to put a tackle in. It might go, well, who knows? Um but that's why Mwepu's not playing because he doesn't bring enough to the defensive side of the game. Every other one of those midfielders we know is at some point under Potter's system been able to do some defensive work. Um, and that's why we've basically got four midfielders that want to be forward but can be defensive-minded. As soon as you get rid, rid of one of those and bring in a more attacking profile, it's going to weaken the whole system at the moment. That's what happens when you have Basuma. And you saw it when, uh, to add to that, when you lose Basuma and you lose Kukurea, you need leaders more than ever. Uh, and Lalana is undoubtedly a leader. Um, you see it. The journalists love him for his interviews that he gives. Uh, and like I think it was Neil Arando in both noted uh, at the latest pre the preseason behind closed doors. Brentford, maybe it was um, that they're in attendance for, and they forgot just how often Lalana is just non-stop shouting at people to do something this, something that, and everyone else is just doing their own thing. When you've lost your two best players, you need something like that to just calm everybody down and bring this team back to a place that they're they're in a good spot. And that might be another reason too, just as much as, as anything else. Like you say, he can press from the front really well. Uh, and like you say, Mwepu is, is more <laughs> erratic. Uh, but that, that leadership piece as well, I mean, Dunk can only do so much. Uh, and, and he really is the only other one out there that seems to be that way. Um, Welbeck yesterday had 18 touches, by the way. That's Aaron Connolly levels of uh, lack of involvement directly on the ball. Uh, well, let's bring up the other stat, though, in another important game with another leader of a line who didn't have many touches in the game. Erling Haaland had eight touches for Man yep. City against Bournemouth. And he made he made two assist, passes. You got an assist, but he made two passes in the 74th minutes. One was the assist and one was a kickoff. So, like... That, but that's the difference. They won 4 0. Yep. Yep. Uh, Welbeck didn't do much at all yesterday. Uh, he did He did what he was asked to, stretch the line and, and gave us a lot of space in that midfield, but no one made the most of it, as you said. Um, the foul the foul from Callum Wilson for the high boot is about the only other thing worth touching on in terms of like big moments in the game, I think, because uh, we've just talked about the bunch of chances the midfield missed uh, and the goal line technology stuff. Uh, so um, the the foul from Wilson, uh, Newcastle fans, shock, shock horror. Uh, don't think it was a foul and the goal should have stood. 
Um, what do we think of the high boot? To me, it was, I mean, it was massively high and was quite obviously a, one that was going to get blown up. Um, but how did you two feel about that? But nothing for me. Um, it was, I did no malice in it. Yeah, his foot was high, but it was right next to the ball. Um, it, it, it could have gone another way, a different day. Um, I credit where it's due, though, different situation. I loved the card that was given to St. Maximan. I love that because everyone started as soon as he blew up and he whistled, the Brighton players were starting to absolutely descend on the ref. And then he pointed the other way. They're like, oh, oh okay. Yeah, hold on. Good. Thanks for that. Um, yeah, horrendous start. So I thought, generally, I thought it was a good refereeing display, for, which is weird for us. Yeah, I thought it, it wasn't too bad. Um, the, the high boot, I think it, you're mad if that goes against you, but you know, you, you can argue it either way. Um, but yeah, for me, that gets given against us you you'd feel slightly aggrieved but i think you'd accept that that's the the to and fro of the game so i i wasn't wasn't too fussed about that the, the dive was horrendous i mentioned it earlier but um yeah i'm glad they replayed that like five or six times during during the <laughs> yeah they well. did yeah so uh they really made a point of that so uh that was nice i'd retrospective banham they said that that's what they were going to do and they did it one year and they did it once and i think it was to nias for everton and they, they they gave him the retrospective ban that they said they were going to give to anybody who was caught on camera objectively diving uh, and then never did it again in spite of still being a bunch of them on camera doing it. Um, I would give them a ban for it. Like, it's just so bad for football if you're going to be that obvious about it. Um, everyone's always going to try and make the most of contacts and stuff like that. Um, I did enjoy, if anybody watched the Forest game today, uh, that people were complaining that the uh, uh, I can't remember who the Forest defender was made a meal of Antonio, just absolutely bodying him. Um, that was borderline assault, and they're upset about it. Uh, but people are always going to make a meal of it. That's how it works. Like that's the way the game works. You want to win set pieces in dangerous areas, but that level was absolutely mental, wasn't it? Um, uh, as Mikey said in the chat, we ended with one point five five xg to zero point one eight xg. Uh, not great, but it really does show just in terms of levels, you know, that that front group for Newcastle have been very, very good at the end of last season. And they started off just fine yeah, last week uh, and we stifled them into nothing. Uh, and we have lost Bissouma and Kukurea and we made them 0.18 XG. They, they posed nothing. Um, and I think that for anybody who's worried about losing them, I've said it to a few people on uh, on those Newcastle podcasts. The, the biggest worry for me and any Brighton fan I expect is not losing any player, it's losing Potter. Um, because without him, it's a little bit scarier. Uh, but with him, uh, I think it was you, Adam, last week, I feel like we could have put, we could have literally, at 60 minutes against United, we could have changed the entire 11 and he could have put out anyone he wanted out of there. And they were so broken that we could have done whatever we wanted. And Dono um, would so have had his hat trick. And a red card. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we could we could have brought back uh, hold on. Where was that sad mo- I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but now this is now gonna bug me because one of the weirdest transfers of an, an ex Brighton player occurred in the last two days. And I, I need to fish it out now. Yeah, where did he go to? Where did Lacardia go to? Can't remember. I knew who you were talking about, though. Uh, yeah, get on the Googles. Um, Here we go. I've got it in front of me now. Uh, he has oh, moved the to the Iranian side. 
Yeah, Persian Golf Pro League. Persepolis. How much did we pay for him? He was a he was a club record signer at the time. I Fourteen believe. million. Playing Same as my pay. Iran. Yep. Same as my pay. Uh, but you, you <laughs> sorry for going on from the tangent. But you're right. Um, the, the the structure and the setup that we have it's it's it is good news how we stifled that Newcastle side. It's disappointing in the other sense, right? Though because these are the games you look back on further on in the season when we get to the tail end of it and we're like oh, so desperate for points to move up it's oh we want to be here or we could just be here two more points and we're five positions higher and you look back on this game and you're like well Newcastle have got a point from this and we dropped two points based on that second half performance that's the way I look at that game especially when I, I've got in my notes from this I think I, I at a certain point about around 80 minutes I, I just wrote down how is this not one nil after some of the clearances and off the line and Pope saves and headers from Lalana uh, and shots from, from, from March and co that was tough. But can we talk about the other good thing that came out of it, which is Matoma who came on on 74 minutes and you've made no, you haven't been shy about this, Josh, about Matoma being <laughs> secret weapon, Albin's secret weapon. Uh, he looked fun, didn't he? Looked absolute filth, didn't he? I had uh, I had some stats up for him for his 15-minute debut here. Uh, 11 touches, three of them in the opposition box. Uh, seven out of nine passes completed. Three shot-creating actions. Uh, two out of top of two dribbles completed. Two ball recoveries. And absolutely should have had an assist uh, if Pascal Gross... Oh, it's such a weak little pass, isn't it? <laughs> it's so unlike him, especially after last week. Um, and... You know, like you said, if if we're looking for goal scoring midfielders, usually Pascal Gross is one of them. Um, and then he did that. Uh, but yeah, pff, looks electric. Um, I, I think, like you said earlier, like the problem is he's now trying to beat Trossard out of that spot. And and how do you do that? Um, that's the only bomber I think. But holy hell, uh, yeah, I, I've been bigging him up the whole time. Uh, and then he came on yesterday, and I was like, oh shit, I hope he doesn't look crap like now like because you never know like, it's pre-season so like pre-season so you never know what it's really gonna look like when you put up against match fit premier league uh right backs and uh yeah poor trippier uh he was probably he laughing at dan burn skinned him on that chance he was he was probably laughing at dan burn when he saw lamptey come on uh and then Mitoma came on and, and he didn't know what hit him, did he? He was absolutely just humbled uh, from, from that from that burst of pace that Mitoma had. Um, and yeah, he really should have he really should have got an assist. But I, I mean, see, I assume he'll start in the Carabao Cup. Uh, Forest Green. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm sad I'm not at home for that. I would love to have made that a new ground to go to. Uh, but I think we'll suspect we'll see an almost entirely changed eleven there. Um, and Mitoma may well make them very sad down at forest green because uh, he could do with the minutes and the, there's levels to it and that that may well be a massive massive mismatch uh for, for a player of his quality that we just saw from 15 minutes do we have a day for that game yet <sighs> that's a good question um i'm not sure we do um not sure it's difficult with the stupid World Cup uh, in here. I'm not sure where they're putting these these cup games now. Um, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what it like we do. Yeah, yeah. I don't see it either. 
but yeah, it'd be nice. Go on, Craig. So, sorry, no, it's just fun is the perfect word for Matoma. Like, it's just, it, he's so exciting to watch. I think that's what's going to help. You know, we've got Enciso, Sarmiento, people that can get people out of their seats. And we talked about atmosphere and, you know, credit where credit's due. You know, those type of players are going to get people off of their seats and excited about what's happening on the pitch. So, um, Let's hope that you know you get the benefit of someone that's absolutely electric, but also people buying into the fact that this is exciting and we are dangerous. And and my assumption here was this problem that they have on their hands now positionally is a good one because for all intents and purposes, Mitoma was brought in as a succession plan for Trossard. Um, I know they had that one-year trigger extension there, but I'm pretty sure if a club had come in for Trossard and and in a big way after the Belgian national team appearances and some of his stunning displays that he's had, um, we'd have got ourselves into a sort of Kukureya style situation or maybe more akin to the Basuma type situation. Um, and Mitoma was to come in after that. Now we've got both. And Mitoma already looks ready to play some level of role here this season, um, even if it is slowly as a part of that five subgrouping for the first three months of the season and then everyone's tired after the World Cup and he comes back in, although he's probably going to be playing for Japan, right? He um they're he's in and very important. He scored that goal that actually made a difference. So um yeah we'll see. On the left side, going back to that Estupinion transfer though, um are we, have we heard many numbers around that? Because what's confused me is my understanding is he just signed a seven-year contract with the URL a year ago or two years ago. So that confuses me a little bit. I've heard 18 million is the number. Uh, and given that every player in the league has to have a release clause, yeah, I, I wonder if that's it, right? They were really happy with him and he can do his job. But if if one of the, one of the bigger leagues come calling, um, they may well want to allow him to have that out. I mean, look at Kukurea, he was the same. Um, and he was obviously hugely widely re- well-regarded at Getafe. Um, so I, I wonder if it's a minimum release clause thing. Um, the league is funny like that, and it, it's, I would assume that's probably what it is. Almost sort of has to be. Um, and he signed that contract in 2020. But... I mean, they bought him off of Watford, didn't they, for 15 I mean, million? So I can't imagine the release clause is like only 3 million more than what they paid Watford. I mean, if they bought him in 2020, he only has five years left. Okay, yeah, you can just, <laughs> just walk off for that. He can buy himself out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, worth noting, uh, Jeremy Sarmiento went off today, injured for the under 23s. Um, Went off just after 15 minutes and then watched the rest of the game uh, from the dugout. Uh, stood for a lot of the time, so it suspect it wasn't anything major uh, if he was if he stayed. Because if it was a proper strain or anything, I'm sure he would have been straightened the the training facility with ice and whatever the hell else they wanted to do with him. So that's a good sign. Uh, but we've got to remember how fragile some of these kids are as well. Uh, and Cizo scored um, apparently an audacious chip that I still haven't seen. Uh, they've talked about it a lot and didn't play it. So classic. Um, but yeah, uh, those players, like you said, they're, they're going to be the ones that, that get the crowd excited. And we saw it yesterday. As soon as St. Maximum ever got the ball, like that Newcastle end went mental. They were so excited that every, whenever he got it. And you saw it with Brighton too. Whenever his Kiedo used to get the ball, 
they knew shit was about to go down because he's just so stupidly direct. Um, and even, you know, way back whenever Vicente got it back in the day, uh, Loa Loa, you know, you think back to those like massively like explosive players, like we've, we've missed them. We, we haven't had one for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we seem to have about four <laughs> on the books all in one go. Uh, and they're all, you know, under 22, 23 with, with the exception of Mintoma, who's 25. But I mean, that's still incredibly young. And like you said, I think that game time, he's going to be playing every game for Japan. But he's very important to them. Um, and, and I believe the Japanese football media generally consider him one of their best, if not their best asset, uh, especially the age he is. So that's a, that's a huge plus in his favor if he has a good world cup uh it might you know it may be enough to get him even closer to that first team spot have we heard much more around whether ecuador are going to be banned uh because didn't they do that cheeky I, stuff with the age thing yeah. in the basketball for something I, I think it got thrown out i think they are in the world cup because that's we might there's we might have three players playing for ecuador in like the World in, Cup. Yeah, potentially in the starting 11, yeah. SD, if you go on Ecuador's Wikipedia and look at the current squad, Estupinia is already listed to, as playing for Brighton. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> He's done that. Uh, uh, well, it's official then. The internet, you know yeah. the internet can't lie. It so. can't, it's not, especially Wikipedia can't be wrong. No. Um, but yeah, our South American contingent is, is, is absolutely building up. But we are losing our French contingent, uh, seemingly in, well, as you said, maybe the next few hours. How do we feel about the Mope thing? Let's 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 do man of the match first, and then we'll go to the movie. It's Mope for me, just for old times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was I was trying to find pink hair at the city ground. Uh, didn't see him, so for that reason, uh, I'm not sure he's gone just yet, because uh, that's a foolproof way of scouting it out. Um, but I mean, we've talked about a lot of the players inadvertently, really, between now and now and uh, forty-five minutes ago. So, who was your man of the match? Uh, I'm assuming it wasn't Kaiseido, Adam, given the fact that you just slagged off the the sponsors <laughs> at, at the Amex. <laughs> uh, well, so, everyone so knows we'll the sponsors. Man of the match is ridiculous every time. Anyway, we'll start with you. Uh, who's, <laughs> who was your man of the match yesterday? Uh, I found I've been thinking about this is sad, but I've been thinking about this for almost 24 hours now who the man of the match was. And I still don't think I really know who it is. Um, Cause Lalana was good, but well, fairly good, but only played for 64 minutes. So I'm begrudging given him March was good, but I honestly think I'll, I'll love it. Lewis Dunk's way. I thought he was pretty, pretty stellar at the back yesterday. Um, and frankly, there weren't enough other players that stood head and shoulders above the rest. Yeah, you just stole mine because I, yeah. I, I, we, we didn't we didn't we didn't speak about him uh, enough or uh, at all actually. Just around the, the job he does at the back, and there's a reason why they didn't really sniff anything out. And they did have two players on the counter attack, and he handled it all really well. I think it's just it goes it goes under the radar just how damn good he is nowadays because he he does it all the time. Um, but for, for argument's sake, I think to have someone different, I, I'll I'll go for Solly March because I thought he he was very good and he he done jobs at both ends of the pitch yesterday. I thought I thought he was very good. Josh about to give it to Matoma for fifteen minutes. <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, I'm not. Um, I'm going to give it to Veltman 
and it was really between him and Dunk. So the fact that you went with Dunk, I was like, all right, I'll just go for the other one just to give an, an even spread. Um, I thought that the job he did was just as good. One on one against ASM, I, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't begrudge anybody being skinned by him. Um, that's generally par for the course when you're going one on one against St. Max. Uh, but I thought he exercised his his remit that, that Potter gave him to borderline perfection. Um, I thought he did a superb job uh, on that right hand side alongside Solly March and Lewis Dunk, funnily enough, right in the middle of the two. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's that's a pretty representative three choices for man of the match for just how well that group did. Uh, essentially nullifying Wilson and ASM together, which is which is really good. Um I did see a stat on Twitter though, Charlie Halfenden on Twitter. Um he did make a point uh, as to how influential Kaiseido has been since he came in. Um considering he wasn't anyone's man of the match on here. Um but he has been incredibly important. And when you look at it, uh, our Premier League record since Kaiseido started uh, for us, nine games played, six wins, two draws, one loss, and that was at the Etihad against Manchester City. 18 goals scored and nine goals conceded. Uh, only 20 years old. So, obviously, there's more to it than just him coming in, uh, but not a, not a bad record to have as a 20-year-old midfielder that, uh, as we've talked about a few times, came from a quite literal dumpster fire in December uh, to provide in you know, what he's providing for this team in the Premier League. Have you seen all the content already out on the Brighton Hove Admin Twitter uh, about Man U being interested in Corsado and I think even Arsenal have been thrown about. Obviously, we're still in silly season. West Ham have been thrown in there as well. Uh, can you imagine how much money someone would need to offer Tony Bloom right now to then sign Moises Corsado before the end of this window? I, I was asked that. I was what? asked that on the pod. Do you know what I said? I no. I said a hundred million. I don't think. I honestly don't know if you're that. If we're doing prices right, I think you're not winning. But <laughs> I, and, and the reason I said off. it, and the reason I said it is because, and they laughed at it, and I was like, "Yeah, it's stupid because it's intentionally stupid. The club would be being stupid." They're like, we don't want to sell him under any circumstances. So if you want him, you can pay 100 million in. And if someone goes, okay, you go, what? You would need an incredibly, stupidly, poorly run club to do that. So it's sad to see him go, but it will be interesting to see him play out on (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I don't think he'll go, though. I really don't. I can't see any scenario in which Moises Caicedo, either his valuation is met or he wants to go. Does he, would he want to go to West Ham? Genuinely? He's made 10 Premier League starts. He's not going to get in ahead of Declan Rice. It's also surrounded by Sami Antoine and Ciso now, who he, he seems to get on with quite well. You know, Really fair point. So, you know, I can't... He's enjoying his football. He's a shoe-in to start every week. Like, like you said, it would take a stupid amount of money for him to go. If you bear that in mind, that if we did lose him, how important he has become in such a quick amount of time, how much is that money actually worth in us being so short in that option it is that much money that's just a, a fact 
I'm always loath to overthink these things, though, in, in terms of when we go, like, oh, will, would he move? Because we said this about Basima, we said this about Kukure, and suddenly, like, as soon as there's a sniff, Kukure, I've always dreamed of playing for an insert <laughs> random Champions League club for my entire life. I think even someone mentioned this in the, in the chat a little bit earlier, so sorry yeah. for sort of stealing your line here. Maybe it was Mikey. Um, I, West Ham are a European football club right now, right? They're playing in the fake one um, that... that existed what for two years at this point the Europa Conference League so they are playing European football um they're probably get paid a lot more so I'd never say never if the opportunity arose with these things and I, again as with everything I, I, I stand by there's not a single player in this team that is not available for sale if the right price comes in but as you say Josh I think the right price in this instance here is obscene and then it's a case of how quickly can you then replace two three midfielders uh, with the rest of the transfer window, you'd have to have a couple of players lined up that you're bringing in of quality players that are like 40, 50 million pound players to get around selling your entire future in one transfer window. Would be interesting to see the people on Twitter saying they trust the club no matter what if we bend off Caicedo <laughs> by the end of the window. Um, I would love to I would love to see their list of ready-made centre mids um, that they're they'll have to go onto the club website and look at the under 17s at that point. I think, um, yeah, I don't think it's happening. Uh, Mohamed Kamara, no. I believe is moving to Monaco. Um, the player that we were supposedly in for at one point, um, he's off from Salzburg to, to Monaco. So that's one of them off the list. If, if we genuinely ever were interested in it. Um, I also wonder when, when Esther Pinion left, uh, Watford to go to Spain, he wanted to go to Spain, because I, I I had him on my podcast episode as like not him live, uh, but I was going to say <laughs> him on my list. Uh, yeah, random as well. Nothing to do with us. Um, uh, I had him on my list of left backs to to target, um, especially because they'd just gone down, and he'd had a really good season at Osasuna, and it looked like he fit the profile of someone we'd want to bring in. Um, and he was talking to the probably the Ecuadorian press, you know, the South American press is so open with this stuff uh, that he didn't want to play in England categorically because he struggled with the language barrier. And I, I wonder if that contingent we've got with Caicedo and uh, Sarmiento and him, if he comes in and then sees so is something that is part of that convincing where he's like, okay, I'm ready for a new chapter as people say uh, to come over to the Premier League and give it a go. And I wonder if that's a big thing. Um, we saw it in the early 2010s with us signing Spanish players. We had no business signing uh, because we started building up that contingent with Calderon and co. And then we ended up signing players that were far above our remit simply due to the, the atmosphere and the people in their ear. You know, Bruno was talking to a lot of them, Vicente, you know, all that stuff. Um, so I wonder if that's part of it too, which would make him even more important to keep uh, if he's part of the part of the infrastructure that's bringing in players, uh, giving them a good word for us, and then binning them off immediately, probably won't go down very well. Uh, and if we do make this signing as well, there will be a lot of people that come out and say, "What well, isn't he a Watford reject? He didn't play a single game. His opinion didn't play a single game for Watford, right? As you said, like he went back on loan out into Spain. And this is a guy, depending on how much La Liga any of us watch. Well, I'm sure a lot of us watched the Champions League run for Villarreal last year, of which, I mean, he started in that semi-final game against Liverpool. He played in 10 Champions League games last year. Um, and Villarreal have been 
despite a disappointing league finish last year, if I remember correctly, he's been a key part of a really important side that have played on the highest stage. This would be a slam dunk signing, depending on the price. If, if we're talking about what are our options for finding a Kukuro replacement, we know we can't replace him. We're not going to buy one of those kind of players that is just as good as Kukuro was last season. What's the closest thing to it without bankrupting the club or stepping out of our transfer policy? It's a guy like this. Like, it would be a slam dunk. So let's... We should be getting excited if this is real. It looks, yeah, I think all things point towards it being pretty concrete, right? So, um, like you said, it's just that sort of, we do need to replace that side and just it gives us that flexibility to change things around. Um, at the moment, we played two games and we played them relatively the same. Um, I think that's partially because it works for the last couple of games, but I'm sure in turn it's probably because we have to because we don't have that natural left back to, to play that for. So let's hope so. Um, like you said, he's he's got a good pedigree. He's been playing at a very high level. So um, hopefully he's able to not only come here, but obviously slot in fairly quickly too, because that, we, we would need that. Yeah. Um, and that's the other thing with, with players like that. Uh, the ability to slot straight in is going to be important. I think we do need a few that are able to just plug and play, not another Enzito that's going to play some under-23 games and mm-hmm. see if he needs to go on loan and stuff like that. I think we do need one or two players that can do that, uh, just because Kukurea was one. Um, so, you know, we, we need to be able to get that. And as Potter has said a few times already, he wasn't a planned outgoing this summer at all. They didn't plan to sell him at all. He was not on that list of players like the sumer inevitably was um and and if you go on speaking of which in terms of you know compare and contrast i think smarter scout and stats bomb are two of the common kind of like big pro like comparison tools uh and there's a few others out there and i think someone else has already stole my thunder yesterday on twitter but uh he is if you go and put s opinions name in those engines kukurea comes back as the most similar player to him in the top five leagues. Um, so, I mean, he is a pound for pound replacement. You can't get any more similar uh, according to the stats and the output that he has. And and as you say, it's not an UNDAV Belgian pro league output. It's a La Liga and Champions League output uh, and European football continuously too. It's not just a one-off at a group stage. This is a guy that's been playing at the highest level now. Uh, and, he wasn't a Watford reject, as you said. He was simply too good for him. Uh, and and it was one of those also weird things with their dodgy owners and their seven different clubs they own. Yeah, if, if this if this isn't good enough for you, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> like, that's as simple as that. Um, I'm pretty sure he was, you know, part of the, the team that... Uh, didn't they didn't they win the, the Europa League a couple of years back as well? Like, it, yeah, this would be amazing. Is there, there's not been an, a bunch of other solidified transfer rumors for us, given that we're still in the, the transfer window is still open, as we all know, despite the fact that we're now just running through the season. Um, I want to talk about one name that came up before, and I know I'm contradicting what I said earlier about strikers and not necessarily needing one, but Brereton Diaz, as a rumor back uh, last year, January time. He had a really good season last year for Rovers. He's come out smashing it already in the first few games. Uh, he's already got two goals, one assist in three games for Rovers. Surely there's some... 
there's not really any rumours even going around for him at the moment. Walls have been mentioned a little while back and that's pretty much it. We're taking another look because there were some bubblings below the surface there, weren't there? I, I can guarantee you for a fact we looked at him. Guarantee. Yeah. From people I know, I know we've looked at him. Guarantee that. Where it went, I mean, they'd probably look at about 55,000 players, but that one was definitely a name that was known in the club corridors as a player that we were interested in. Um, and it obviously has never gone anywhere since. And he had a quiet end, didn't he, to the season at Blackburn? He, he didn't really do much after that January window. Um, yeah. So I don't know if that's a part of it. People are a bit lukewarm on him. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. Where, where does he... I mean, he's, he's obviously first choice at Rovers, right? And he comes in and he's probably not going to be first choice straight from the bat with Endav and Welbeck there. Like, is that an attractive enough option for, for someone that is doing well in the championship? I have to think though, because like, he, he can play on the left. I know we've now we've talked about already having problems with too many players on the left, but one of these guys can switch to the right. It wouldn't be completely alien, but I cut inside. Yeah. Um, there's also the fact that how often did we play the four at the back system last year? It was Josh. You had the stats we talked about it last time. Yeah, I think um, it was 23 or 22 of the 38 games we operated with four at the back. Yeah, slightly that- more often than not. If we see out this season was just Welbeck leading the line for the entire Premier League season, I will eat my entire microphone and, and headphone setup right here in front of everyone. Uh, so this, we're, we're going to switch things up at that point. If you, if we ever play two up top, yeah, you could do Trossard, but yeah, Welbeck and Welbeck and, and Dav being your, your your two to rely on. Um, while again, we don't want all the goals there. It's more about do we have bodies to replace them now that we've got rid of everyone else. That's the main concern that. On, on the depth side yeah uh, uh, he can play just about anywhere up front as well that's the thing for him he's he's operated right left behind a striker at striker for Rovers uh, and he does well generally in all of them just, I mean it would definitely be interested right the money it would be a pretty significant jump and Rovers got close and then bottled it didn't even get into the playoffs last season uh, would he want to take the risk of having it happen again, I don't know. Like, there's only so many years, right? You can keep plugging away before you become a championship journeyman player, and you lose that attraction. So, depends on if he starts throwing his toys at the pram. But I haven't heard anything from us for him for a while. Um, we can talk about me, yeah. Mope, though. You wanted to talk about him before we wrap up. Uh, this yeah. might be the last. This might be 180. This may be the last episode we can talk about Neil Mope as a Brighton and Albion player. Uh, because this time next week, he may well be in red for Nottingham Forest. Um, I think he will be about their 17th striker signing. Uh, yes, <laughs> talk about how the frying pan into the fire. Can't get a game here. Good luck, mate. Yeah. Uh, whatever his name is, Taiwo. Uh, looked very good today for Forest. Uh, getting in some really good positions. Looked strong, looked quick which annoys me because he was another one on the list uh, a couple of years ago before he went to Union Berlin. Um, he looked very good. Brennan Johnson looked full of running. Um, and now they've just signed Emmanuel Dennis already. Um, yeah, what what is he thinking going there? Does he really think he's going to get into that side as it stands? I, it's a it's such a weird move from head to toe to me. The, the only thing that makes sense is he's got one year left on his deal 
and Albion are about to get 15 million quid for him when we paid roughly 14 million for him, according yeah. to Naylor, three, four years ago. We're, we're making a marginal, tiny little bit of profit off of him, if that, you know, it could be add-ons and stuff like that. But we're making that money back off a player with one year left on his contract. That's the only thing that makes sense. Outside of that, I don't know why we would let him go without a backup in mind, which I'm sure we, therefore, we've got, you know, 15 days to do it. I don't know why he would go to there out of all the places with the list of strikers in front of him. The whole thing's just absolutely bizarre. It's weird. I don't really get it. I've seen some of the Forest fans coming out and saying, oh, no, well, we play a certain way and it means that we need X number of forwards to be able to do what we want to do and we did in the championship. Sure. Um, but I thought that Sultanatana, as I always say, moving to, to Italy seems to make a little bit more sense. But well, I guess a, a Premier League move, depending on what his preference is, he might have wanted to stick around in the Premier League. He's, you know, he's been in the UK for quite a while at this point. Um, the money is the 15 million that's being thrown about, but for both of these transfers, by the way, regardless of where he was going to, sounded pretty good. If you're Brian, you'd have to say that from a preference standpoint, Mope is not the kind of character if you can avoid it that you want to keep in the same league because he's the guy that comes around and scores against you when you play him. Um, and that's, or, or he does something. He, he, this won't be the last we see in Neil Mope and especially with Brighton. Let's make that very, very, very clear if he moves to Forest. Um, it's a shame. I just, I think collectively, we everyone wanted it to work out as a transfer. And I don't think we'll ever forget some of the goals that he scored at important moments and what he did for the club and his attitude and that fire that he has about him. But it hasn't worked. He hasn't been good enough for what this club needs. Um, and there's a, there's a reason that Danny Welbeck is starting ahead of him and we've brought in another guy ahead of him and he wasn't even getting close to the starting lineup. Um, that's probably not good enough for him. So I think if he's saying, if I'm third choice at Brighton or I can go to Forest and fight in a new setup and situation, that's better for me. I want to give it a go. I think that's what it is, right? Is that he, he he backs himself to to be that guy, and if we've made it clear to him that he's not going to be, um, and I think we, we pointed out last week that and that came on instead of him, like it's this very clear hierarchy there and in, in where he stands. So it seems that like like you said, he's pops up in all those important moments, and I just yeah, he just doesn't do what we need him to do, um, and we've sort of pivoted to to Welbeck and and then that's come in at, at a cut price too, so. Yeah, fair play to him. And then you have the financial aspect on the top as well, that he's got a year left and he'll run that down if we don't at this point. Um, it is kind of now or never. So um, Forrest is a strange one. Like you said, Dennis has just got there as well. And he, he will have to fight alongside what seems like a squad of 40. Um, but, you know, a fair play. I mean, yeah, he's, he's done a lot for, for this football club. So um, Pops up in those right moments, and we'll miss him. And inevitably, he'll he'll score against us if he goes to Dan Forest as well. <laughs> exactly, a crazy, crazy. Let's talk the money, though, Josh. You mentioned it. I know inflation doesn't make that number the same, right? It's not quite the same nowadays. But still, one year left on a contract to get fifteen million quid for him. One of our highest earners too. There's only Welbeck and Lala and more than Neil Mopay at the club right now. Um, it's pretty pretty good financial decision. I mean, it's a no brainer, isn't it? Like yeah 15 million quid for a player that's got one year left on his deal and like you said he won't he won't be around uh that's absolutely mental like yeah absolutely um i'm not surprised i mean that's probably why we were so willing to do business with the first person who came in for it whether it was salatina or, or anyone else um 
I've heard Everton also rumoured interested in him. Now, that would make a bit more sense. They've lost their shithouse uh, in Richarlison um, and they need to replace him. Uh, hell of a regression, but that's Everton in a nutshell at the minute, isn't it? So to me, that that one made a bit more sense when I saw them rumoured in the in the you know the transfer window with with Mopey like this week just gone. But yeah, I mean, uh, Taiwo, Surridge, uh, Taylor, um, Johnson, all already play for them, and then you've got Lingard who can play up top and will be playing in and around that very high up he was today, um, and then you've got Dennis who's just signed and Mopey as well. So, I mean, you've got six or seven players that are going to expect to be playing centrally in that final third. And they're only going to have, at most, room for three. Very odd. I don't get it. But like you said, that the financial aspect is like, I'll snap your hand off for 15 million. I saw so if they do sign Mopay, it will genuinely be their 16th signing of the summer. <laughs> But they lost so many players in their minor defence. They lost a lot of players. Mm. But they've what? What? A, imagine the, the, your mates that you turn up for the players that are still left there. Just entirely different dressing room. <laughs> you just walk in. You're like, uh, introduce you to your new classmates for the new year. Yeah, Cooper is a good manager, though. Uh, if there's anyone uh-huh. that can get this team ticking, um, it's him. Uh, the thing is, it's just whether it's going to be this time to gel could be brutal for them. Um, we've, we've seen it with Fulham like seven different times, right? They sign like 12 new players. They start terribly and they get through sort of about February before they start clicking inevitably against us at at the cottage. <laughs> and then and then they go on a really good run until the end of the season, but it's almost always too late. Um, and then they go down and they keep that good run of form because they don't sell anyone. They maybe offload two or three to make you know, balance the books for the cons. They make the money. They get come straight back up. They sign another 12 players because a year in the championship hurts them from, you know, in that progression standpoint. Rinse and repeat. They go back down because they've took 12 players on. Um, and that that's, I think that's got to be the worry for Forrest more than anything. Um, but, I mean, Albion certainly didn't scrimp and, and, and save, did they, that first season when we came up? We signed a fair few first 11 plug and plays immediately. Um, especially, I mean, we basically changed the entire heart of the midfield at certain points. So you, you have to do it now. When we talked about this on our preview show, you look at the league and you go, this is a strong premier league, a really strong premier league. Um, and it's less of a case of, there are some, falling giants in the Man United's and your Leicester's and, and clubs like that, that are going to slip down the table a little bit, but towards the bottom end, it's more competitive than it feels ever been. Um, and I think the last few years, there's been this thought of, well, you either do a Fulham in that one season where they do the, as you talked about this 120, but whatever they've spent, sign a whole new squad. Horrendous. Didn't work. Or you do Norwich, you come up, you don't spend anything. Let's see what happens. Horrendous. Like there, there's, it, it depends on the setup and the clubs. It doesn't necessarily mean that just because Fulham did it didn't work out, that a better structured club can come in and do the same thing. And it works because you're damned if you do, damned if you don't with, with, with this. Because if you don't spend to stay in this league, you are going to go right back down and you're going to be churned out. Uh, and you might not come back for a while. Uh, so I, I, I don't hold it against them. It's a challenge for them. And I'll take their money, but what else are they going to do? 
because everyone else would look to their setup and they would have gone, well, you've got no players. Well, you're just going straight back down. See you, Forrest. Waste of yeah. time. Yeah. Like you said, it's a lose-lose situation, isn't it? You know, you, you sign too many players and, and people will say that you've done too much or you sign too little. You remember they had a fair few people on loan as well that got them up from the from the championship. So they, they were starting from a back foot anyway. So, But Josh, like you said, if there's one person that's going to make it tick, it'll be Steve Cooper. So um, it'll be interesting to see how he manages that. Um, they started well, obviously got three points this weekend. So, Yep, at home as well. Good start. Uh, speaking of Norwich, at bottom of the championship today. Um, again, three games in, but not a great start for them. Uh, one point from a possible nine. A uh, bit of a grim beginning for them. Uh, whereas Watford... Again, sitting in third place and, and looking comfortable in that league. Burnley, rightfully in mid-table. Uh, they've, I mean, they've been on borrowed time for about seven seasons, so that doesn't shock me. Um, but that's about it, I think. Uh, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about next week with West Ham away um, and uh, whatever they're going to produce because uh, I don't know what they are yet um, at all. Uh, with Manchester City, their first game, and then Forest, their second two wildly different teams um and they they lost both so i don't really know um what are you what are you at least thinking with this west ham game do you think we'll see a change uh given that we didn't win um so the whole change in a different you know, winning team is one of those you know do we do we see a change this this weekend um if if all of it obviously um and what are you what are you hoping to look at what are you hoping to get from from west ham away bearing in mind what we've seen so far this season it's hard to judge them on the city game. Uh, and then the forest game. <laughs> I'm annoyed to be playing them at this point because we're going to go to the London stadium and they're going to, Moise is going to be angry and they'll, they'll pretty much have been told you cannot start the season with zero points in three games. Uh, you're going to win here. Uh, and I'm worried about that. Um, I don't think we'll change the team, but we talked about earlier. I don't know who I'd bring in, especially when you're away from home against a team that's going to be annoyed and they've got quality if they perform. I don't think you can start taking luxuries and bringing in players that, that make you a little bit more attacking in the midfield. Um, so I think we'll probably line up the same. I just don't, and we don't have the personnel just yet to, to do four at the back. So I think Potter's going to have to let's roll it back and see what occurs. Um, but uh, Last year, I think Bowen was tough for us in a couple of the games that we played West Ham. They signed Skamaka, um, that really big boy from it, from Italy. Uh, he's got a few minutes, but not too worried about him because we don't seem to get tortured too badly from tall strikers. It's a hard one to call. I'm more worried about their mentality based on the fact that they can't lose this next game. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think anything changes. Um, I, yeah, half due to the inflexibility of not being able to play four right now comfortably. Um, but yeah, I think Adam, you're you're right. I think they're going to come out with their with their tails up. So um, hoping, I think right now to to get a draw out of that and, and sort of move forward. Yep, yeah, uh, we drew there last year. Uh, last season we took a draw. Uh, I would love to take a draw. Uh, again, would be a great result, and and continues an unbeaten run right at start of the season would be very nice indeed, um, and would already beat our August total. Um, these five games that we played last year, we finished with four points. Um, so, if we can take five away from them, um, that would be wonderful. Uh, lost to Manchester United last year, and then drew these next four. 
um, all of them <laughs> uh, as part of our going for the draw record. So uh, I would take it again. And I think, I think a point away, like you said, Adam, they're going to be up for it. They're going to consider this a must not lose at their minimum. Um, so if we can come away with a draw, great. Um, I, I think, I, I don't know. I think we may see a change or two in the lineup though. I think we'll be surprised. I do. I have no idea who, so I won't be that bold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is it though? At least. I don't know. I just I don't, don't know. know who you. Maybe it is Wempu for Lana. Maybe it is. What about how? What What about Endav starting for Welbeck? How would people feel about that? Personally, I'd be here for it. Uh, I don't think people on mass would be happy given how well he's played. I don't think he's done enough to get himself out of the side. Mm. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we see it just yet. I think you you start Endav and Matoma against Forest Green and get them get them up and running and sort of bed them in from there. I think it's too early. We are trying to guess what Potter does, though, which is... Um, it's not Imp- a good impossible. policy. Yeah. yeah, this is not a good policy. Wait until we play four at the back, Levi Colwell's in, Undev starts. Like I'm telling you, it's... That can and probably will happen. I was, I was about to say, it's entirely possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have the. I, that was uh, something that I had this week with the Newcastle fans. They all wanted my expected eleven, and I was like, like I don't know, like you want to toss a coin, like, like you. Potter is just a less bold pet. Like who knows? Like you just have no idea who he's going to throw out there. Um, yeah. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, I think a draw would be wonderful next weekend. I would bite your hand off right now if you offered me that. Um, so uh, I think that's everything. Does anybody else have anything else they want to cover before we wrap? Uh, nothing from me. Uh-uh. Oh. All right. Lovely. Well, thank you all for your time. Uh, listeners, have a wonderful rest of your week. Uh, we may well see some transfer activity inbound this week, which is rare. Uh, make the most of it when you see it. Cherish it. Hold it. Love it. Um, <laughs> especially if it's a Champions League level left back. Uh, so have a wonderful rest of your week. Be safe. Uh, and have a good one. Thanks, everyone.